I know what some of you are thinking right now. I'm not a psychic, I just know. You're thinking, we're going to spend eight weeks talking about Connected to Go. And Matt came in here and split the middle aisle. I know what you're thinking. How can we be connected if he's moving us apart? Hey, listen, there was, a, there was a wedding here yesterday. And it wasn't the fact that I was lazier. we didn't have enough help to put them back together. It gives us more seats on the edges. Um, I'm a little hot. You may need to go down a little bit up here. Um, but it gives us more edges to sit and people don't have to step over people. So maybe we can have more room and we're just going to try it. And you know, as I do, if you get too comfortable with something at Connection, it's bound to change. So we changed it. I hope you don't think any less of me. Welcome here this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Connection. And I just want to tell you that I'm really excited that you're here. Um, I've been introduced to someone that, that uh, you know, we, we have people coming from all over to come to Connection. Fairfield, Wayne City, Woodlawn, Germany. Long flight in today, but it was worth it, okay? So these people come in. And, and, and we're so happy that you're here with us because you are not a guest with us. You are, not a, you are not a visitor with us. You literally walk through that door and you walk into a family. A family of people that are like-minded in that they believe in a God that has a will for them. And our job, our hardest job, is to find out what that is and to apply it to our life. So Welcome. If you're here for the very first time, awesome. We're glad that you're here. If you're not, and you're, maybe you're a regular connectionite, hey, I just thought about something again the other day. You ready? Next month, literally, next month, we turn nine years old. This doesn't even seem possible. Like, it's that, it's that long ago. But I want to share with you some things that are going on in connection. Um... By the way, if you haven't, uh, please go do so. If you grab a cup of coffee, grab a bag of popcorn. This is a relaxed environment. We have church in a relaxed environment, and we use this. This is God's holy word that doesn't have any errors in it, but when we hear sermons from it and we study it, the really cool thing that we're going to... Hmm. Oops. That we're going to learn today... That can just stay there. Um, that we're going to learn today is that you, when you study this word, and it, and it gets... When you, when you metaphorically eat this... When you read it and you study it and God's word goes inside you, there's a transformation that happens that will never leave you the same. See, that's, that, that, should be, that should be our drive. Because many of us are not the same as we used to be. Thank God, huh? <laughs> thank God I'm not... Thank God, I thank God literally often that you guys didn't have to meet the map from my past. I'm really thankful for that. But what God has done in my life is He has completely transformed me. And that's exciting, especially when I get to talk with other people about what God has done. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some things with you that God is moving in connection. This is going to go completely right on the money. We're going to be in Colossians today. It's the popcorn gospels that I refer to them as, as what Paul wrote in the New Testament. It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, go eat popcorn. Okay, that's how you can remember them. We have popcorn. This should make sense, people, okay? Go to the corn part. If you have the Daystar edition NLT from Connection, it's on 961. Just turn there. Um, it, we, this, this is just an NLT version Bible from Daystar. But I want to share with you something that is highly important to me because it goes along with the story that we're going to hear from Paul. 
This letter to this church, this minuscule, by the way, church, very small, very not, not a whole bunch is known about this church, yet there's powerful things happening. God is doing things at Connection that are big. And I don't mean just, oh yeah, because He's God. They're big. This week was a second week that some of our, that our two college campus groups at Edwardsville and USI, our, our connect groups, we have other college students connecting at Ridden Lake and Maryville at Bolivar, all over the place. They're connecting in Bible studies. Uh, they're just getting involved with things that were already there. But we launched two connect groups at SIUE at Edwardsville and USI in Evansville. And 22 college kids showed up this week. Think about your life. You think about 18 to 22, and if you went to college, you tell me if you had a connect group. Don't answer it out loud. I can tell you my answer. No. I was running as far away from God as I, as I could possibly run, as fast as I could do it. And yet there are kids that are seeking to step out of a comfort zone just because God has transformed them. It's not comfortable for them. Did you know that? And it's not comfortable for some of our connect group leaders. If you have your purple piece of paper, I said that. Yes, so I didn't mess up. If you open it all the way to the middle, all the way up, I want to show you something. We're going to spend eight weeks talking about connected together. And I know every time I say connected, some of you are going to go, but our chairs are not connected. Just go with it. Okay? Right in the middle. Connect groups start today. There's child care in some of them. There's certain age limits on some of them. There's 18 and over on the Tuesday night group. We have them Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We've been studying prayer. And I can tell you this. Some of you are very kind. After last week's sermon, some of you, some of you text messaged me and said, Matt, that was a really awesome service. Good. Give glory to God, not me. I'm just a mouthpiece. But God's presence was obviously very real here that last week. When, when, we, when we began to pray physically, pray, and like we were earnestly in prayer. So God is doing big, big things. We have connect groups that start meeting today. Will you sacrifice and get connected? I know, I know. Some of you have heard the word connected or connection or connect 15,000 times. You're like, I'm sick of this. Stop talking about connected. Our seats are no longer connected. See, you're just going to go home and go, well, our seats aren't connected. Even though your seats aren't connected in the middle, will you be committed and connected with connections people? Because what Paul talks about, about this church, is a, is a church that was intertwined and interwoven. And I want to tell you this. This is not, a, this is not an eight-week sermon on what you're doing wrong. It's an eight-week sermon on what we can concentrate to do even Better at what we do. And you, if you've been a part of Connection for any time, know that we do intertwining well. But some of us need to plug in. Why do we need to plug in? I'll give you, I'll give you some other reasons. If you stay involved with us and stay up on top of the announcements that we get, we're going to have four or five community elevens before the end of the year. And I know you're, you're, th- you're thinking, oh, it's almost October. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to community eleven the snot out of Mount Vernon. Okay? It's going to be very, very cool things. All families can participate. All different ages and sizes of people. And we're going to study a book today. We're going to study a book for the next eight weeks. We're going to go straight through Colossians. I promise. It's not going to be longer than 16. But we're going to start with eight. I'm just kidding. It'll be eight weeks, okay? We're going to be studying Colossians. And I want to challenge you to do something. This book is very short, four chapters long. I want you 
Some, some of us really seriously, some of us in here prayed really hard last week that our, our relationship with God is not what it should be. And you, and you were asking God, and I know this only because you, you told me this, okay? You, you, were, you said, my relationship with God needs to even, even though it exists, it needs to have more quality. It needs to have more depth. It needs to have more interaction between me and God. We're going to see in yet another letter that Paul writes today that he keeps saying, pray, 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 pray. Same guy that wrote First Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. And we find it in Colossians as well. And we're going we're gonna to seek this relationship with God. But I want to show you the, the first blank on your worship handout. If you have this with us, there are some blanks that you can fill in. And look up on the screen and you can, you can fill it in with me. It says, a church that can fulfill God's vision for them is a church that is connected. See, you know this. You know this. Even, even Napoleon Bonaparte knew this. Civil war leaders knew this. You can divide and... Bingo. Bingo, right? You, you know this. Now, this is, this is what this means in 2016, and I want to get really, really, really real with you right now. This is what this means. Satan wants to not kill you. He doesn't want to just mess with you. He doesn't want you to have a bad day. Scripture says that Satan wants to completely devour you and mess you up. He doesn't like that you're doing this. Newsflash. He doesn't like a church that's willing to do this at all. Have you had a bad week? I don't have a notebook big enough for some of you. Said I had my, my week started off bad, and it was this, and it was this, and it was this, and it was this, and it was this. This is what Satan does not want. He does not want you to connect. Satan wants you to do this. You take that notebook full of stuff, and he wants you to go home, and he wants you to get in your metaphorical closet, and he wants you to shut the door. And he wants you to just breathe those lies over and over. I'm the only one in the world that struggles with this. I'm the only one in the world that this is affecting. I'm the only one in the world. He wants you to be completely disconnected. He wants you to suffer. He doesn't like you. He doesn't. He likes to mess with you. See, he wants, he wants you to feel completely isolated and alone. Some of you are, are nodding your head inside your head without moving and go, I am feeling that way right now. Guess what? God doesn't want you to be like that. God says, I want you to bring your stuff to the light. Confess it to me. I'll forgive you. But I want you to get involved with people that will pray for you, that will hang out with you, that you can eat with, live life together with, connect with. See, our connect groups... It's just a play on words. Connection, connect groups. There are other churches that have these names. But a church that can fulfill God's vision for them is a church that's connected. Because if not, if Satan can drive a wedge in and disconnect it, it's not going to happen. But God desires that everybody pull on the rope one way. <laughs> Look at Colossians. Look at Colossians with me. The very first verse... Of the first chapter of Colossians. There's some things that we're going to learn about Collis that I learned from people that are far and way, way, way smarter than me. Way smarter than me. I'm not, I don't consider myself a brainiac person. I just read books and they tell me things and those books are written by people that are much smarter than me. But this letter is from Paul. By the way, if you're a writer in your Bible or you're a note taker, you're going to need some more pens for this book. It's everywhere. Okay, there's underlinable stuff everywhere. Look at this. this. The first five words are dramatically important. This letter's from Paul. Period. Why is that important? 
Paul was a real person in secular and biblical history. The fact that he was real is a big deal. That means that, oh, once again, this word is proved completely infallible. Paul's a real person. Now, he does some things here that can be a little bit confusing. He says, he says some words. He says, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. So Paul's not alone. He's got Timothy with him. Now, Timothy is not the author of this book, based on a couple things. Anything of written in this kind of time period, this is considered antiquity. The first person mentioned in that letter is the person that wrote it. He's the author. Now, he may not have written it down. Timothy may have been the scribe that, write it, that, wrote, that, write it, that wrote it down. But Paul, is the, he has the authorship, and he says right there why he has the authority to do so. What is he? Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. This is a special person. He has the authority to write. You'll find it interesting to know. Because I like history, I did some digging. Not literally, I didn't go over there and dig for Collis. I didn't. Watch this. When we, you can read the, the book of Colossians and you, you can think, Wow, what a, what a pick-me-up this book is. What a challenge this is. Now think about this. As, you, as we talk about our prayer life, as we look at how, how connected we are, I want you to focus on how connected Paul was. Because theologically speaking, on Paul's second missionary journey, the closest that he ever came to Collis was 200 kilometers. Now why does that matter? Paul literally wrote a letter to people he'd never met. But he cared about them enough because they were fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to see something else. One of the most unbelievable compliments anybody could ever give you or a church. We're going to read it in just a second. But he says, he says I'm an apostle. I have the authority to write this. Of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. So Timothy's here hanging out with me. Where's Paul? Shocker. Ready? He's in jail. <laughs> He's in house arrest. Now, not only does he write to people that he doesn't know, he writes to people, and some people would argue, well, he has spare time. He's in jail. Okay, yeah, I get it. But, if you or I were in jail, maybe if you, if you have been, maybe you, you, can, you, can, you can call recognition to this, there would be a lot of, there would be a lot of time spent being upset Maybe that you got caught. Maybe that you've done it. Maybe there was guilt. Yet Paul seems to, every time we find him in prison, he's not dwelling on that stuff. He's dwelling on encouraging other people, which goes exactly against the thought process of a normal human. It does. He's, he, he never dwells on himself. He says, I want to write to you. I want to write to you. I want to write to you. This letter was probably written 65 AD. 63. Why is that important? It's very important. Because if you realize where Collis is and where the start of Christianity in the first church started, in just 30 short years, you can see that the spread of the gospel is going crazy. Why? Because it's magnetic. It's transformational. The love of Jesus Christ invades people and it changes them. This is why you see a, in 30 years you see an expansion. This is why you see in the, in the story where Philip goes up and he, and he goes to Philippi, or when Paul goes up to Philippi, and he, and he meets Lydia. And she's the first convert to Christianity. She becomes a follower. It's where my daughter, my youngest daughter Lydia gets her name. Lydia means joyful worshiper. 
My child does not walk. She bounces. Okay? She's joyful all the time. I, I saw this morning she wasn't being too joyful. But not very often does it happen. Because Paul went to Philippi, the, the con- not the country, not the town, Europe becomes evangelized. Then there's these people that decide to come over to America. Thank God, by the way. Because that's when you and I come in. So it starts over here. In 30 years, we see this letter written. And now 2,000 years removed. Now the gospel... You know what? You know what's similar between AD 65 and 2016? Nothing on this absolute planet can ever interfere with the spread of the gospel because the gospel is it. Nothing can... Inter- no, you can interfere with it, but nothing can stop it. It cannot be stopped. They tried. They, they, they've burnt towns down. They've killed people. All because they go to church and it doesn't quit. It doesn't quit because somebody told you about Christ. Somebody told me about Christ. Somebody told me that I needed a relationship with Him. Then the Holy Spirit convicted me that I did. So 30 years after. 30 years after. Now, why is the big deal, again, that Paul uses the word apostle? Why is it a big deal? Apostolos is the Greek word for apostle. These people would have known that. If you understand Greek, and you understand apostolos translation, it means the sent one. He has all authority. As soon as he uttered the word apostle, it was like, yep, he can do this. He's been given authority to do so. Look at verse 2 with me. He said, we. We are, we. We are writing. If you want a compliment, if one day you die, I'm going to read in the next three or four verses one of the best compliments somebody could ever say about you or me. Or our church. Look at verse 2. We are writing, that's Paul and Timothy, to God's holy people in the city of Colossus. Who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. Awesome. Paul writes this to our faithful brothers and sisters. Now, just stay with me. You ready? Paul never met them. How did he know? Paul never, he didn't, he doesn't, he's not recorded to take a trip. To there. In fact, in AD 65 to AD 68, there was a huge violent earthquake, and the town of Collis never got back to its fruitful where, from where it was. Now, there's also another town that was by it called Laodicea that you probably may have heard of. And in 30 years after the earthquake, it's considered a rich and bountiful town, but not Collis. It's. It, it never, it never returned after the bigger after after it was after it was destroyed after it was you know ransacked by the by the earthquake. But look at this, Paul never has met these people. So how can he write verse two? We're writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossus. Just think about what it took to write this. You pick a church, any church in the continental United States or the world. You just pick them. You don't look. Listen, there's no Google, no internet, no websites. You just randomly pick a church and go, okay, I'm going to write to the... I actually know that this town exists. I'm going to write to Telephone, Texas. 
And uh, the Baptist church, I don't think it's in telephone, but it's right there. I'm, write, I'm just going to say that they're great people. I don't know everybody there. There's probably some really good people if there's a church there. But I don't know them. Paul doesn't know them. Now how can he write their faithful brother? Now get with me here. How can he write that they're faithful? He doesn't know them. But he keeps going. He said, our faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, you're our family. May God our Father give you grace and peace and grace. This is... How about that? You want to know how small Collis is? Collis isn't even mentioned in the book of Acts. And if you know church history in the first church and you study Acts, Collis isn't even an example of anything. That would have been a big deal. So, so Collis is this little thing. So why does Paul focus on this, this small stuff? Look, just grab your pen if you're a writer. Just grab your pen and look at verse 3. Look at this. He says, we always. Okay, underline always. Every time we see Paul, there's two things. You ready? It appears that he's always in prison. <laughs> and he's always praying. We see in, Thess- in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. You see, you see in, in Colossians, always pray. It's not the only time that you're going to read that today. Of always pray. You can read in Ephesians 5, just before, just two books before this, two letters before this. Paul says, we should pick the fruit of the Spirit. We should always love. He was always in this mood to serve. We always pray for you. He doesn't even know them. He doesn't... Watch this. We, we studied last week in that, prayer, in that prayer service. We studied about interceding with pe- for people. Praying for other people. To my knowledge, there's not much of a better example than this. He doesn't even know them. But he's praying that the gospel keeps being spread by them. So the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. If you ever want anybody to say anything nice about you or your church, wherever you go, if you go to Connection or wherever you go, look at verses 4 and 5. For we have heard of your faith. They have simply heard. I'm a big hunter. In Illinois, one of the, one of the absolute crazy numbers that you want to see when you're deer hunting is 200 inches. It doesn't happen every day. It's an enormous deer. It means it has 200 inches of antler. It's, that's incredible. If you or your friend shot a deer that was that big, I know enough people that I would get a picture of that deer if you took one and you sent one, I guarantee you I would know within the day, probably the hour that you shot it. Why? Because news like that travels. We're not talking about a deer here. We're talking about something much greater. This is, this is what's much greater. God was at work in these people's lives. God was changing lives. And Paul, listen, where's Paul? He's in custody. And he's heard about this church and what's going on. So he says, let's pray for him. Look in verse 4 again. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. These were people that connected with God's heart. Where have we heard that before? Where have we heard that before? Oh, on the front of your, on the front of your worship handout. Just look with me real fast. What's Connections vision? We exist to connect with God's heart and the hearts of others, becoming friends with all people as we live in love like who? 
Jesus. Listen. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and for your love for all of God's people. I'm known as this guy. You ready? I had somebody come to a wedding yesterday and I was here. They said, there's a popcorn machine in your kitchen. I said, I know. And then they asked me the most unbelievable question I've ever heard. Do you use it? I said, often. (laughs) And then they asked me an awesome question. He said, do you have a butter machine? And I said, no, because if we need a butter machine, we're going to put a treadmill in the other corner. (laughs) Or maybe we can exercise while we listen to the sermon. It was awesome. Another guy comes in for a wedding yesterday. He comes up and talks to me. He goes to a traditional church based on his expression to me. And he says, he says, hey, he told me how old he was. He's approaching 70 years old. He said, hey, I've got a question. I don't know this guy. He comes up and goes, hey, I've got a question. Okay. Shoot. He goes, it doesn't look like a church in here. I said, thank you. It's supposed to look like a house. He goes, I like it. it makes people feel comfortable. All of a sudden, this guy's not talking like a stereotypical 68-year-old person from the town that I know pretty well. He goes, let me ask you a better question. And he like gets down like he's going to stare me down. This guy's like this tall. I mean, I was kind of scared of him. Now, he goes, do you guys play loud music? He's stone. You can't read him. He's just, do you play loud music? And I said, yes. And he said, awesome. I love loud music. <laughs> and then he said this. This blew my mind. He could have preached a sermon just by what he said. After he said that, he said, Are you the church that gives the gas away on certain times of year and you give things away in the park and you buy hams and you buy turkeys? I said, Yeah, that's us. He goes, Are you the church that people tell me about that everybody's welcome? Yeah, that's us. Even if they struggle with stuff in life. I said, Even if they struggle with stuff in life. Doors open. He goes, I've heard about you. That's one of the best compliments you could ever get as a church. We've heard about you. The doors aren't closed to certain people. Now listen, we had people smoking outside. They're smoking. They we're at a church. This is what I told them. I walked outside. And they, they had walked around the side. And I said, hey, ladies, come here. We have a smoke, a, a cigarette butt thing right by the door. You can just stay out here 15 feet from that and you don't have to stand outside in, in, the, in the sunshine. I thought they were going to pass out. They're like, are you kidding? Well, but this is a church. And I go, okay, there's a, there's a cigarette butt thing right outside of our door. You don't have to stand out there in the sun. Come over here and you can, and, and you can smoke in the shade. It's for anybody. The, The best compliment that I received yesterday was, we've heard about you and what your people are doing and what God is doing through them. I was excited. I was really, really excited. But we always pray for you. We give thanks to God on verse 3. We give thanks to our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 4. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and love for all of God's people. In 5, which come from your confident hope. Why do you have people willing to do that stuff? I get asked all the time. How do you not have a person that you pay to clean your church? I said, we have people in our church that do that. You have what? 
you have people that volunteer to run a vacuum? I said, we have people that volunteer to clean toilets. What? How do you... This is the number one question I get. How do you do that? Do you, do you pay them? No. How do you get it to happen? I said, it's people that understand where they came from, what their relationship with God used to be and what it is now, and they're willing to sacrifice so that other people can see them and see Jesus in them. I got to ask another question yesterday. It was a day of questions. I was cleaning. They had some, they had some flowers. I don't know if they are flowers or they were just things that shed everywhere. So I was, I was, vacuuming. I was vacuuming that rug. It looked, it looked beautiful in here, but I was vac- it shed a lot. So I was out there, and I was vacuuming that rug, and this one guy that I know very personally, very personally, I know him very well, he walks in, he goes, well, I'm finally in your church. And I said, it's not my church. I just stopped him. This is not my church. What do you mean? I said, this is God's church. I'm just the person that's in charge of the leading and the vision. He goes, like the boss, right? I go, I guess. I don't know how to answer that. I, but as I was continuing to vacuum it, and then he asked this question, he said, bosses don't vacuum. I turned around and I got real pretty smart with him because I can. I know him. I said, in the New Testament, Jesus said that an effective leader cannot lead without serving. And I said, it's important, even for people that come in this church that do not go to our church, that they see me as a servant. I didn't post that on Facebook. I didn't have him take a picture with me in the vacuum. I didn't do that because it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not. And our whole lives are not about us. And that's what he's saying. Look at this church, which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Not only does Paul know what they're doing, he's, he knows their past. Based on the love that they show other people. It gets out. It gets out. Somebody gave somebody uh, a touch someone's life gift uh, at, the, at Veterans Park. And as they were continuing to walk around the park lake, they posted on Facebook. Turns out Facebook's not a, you know, it's not a very big world. It comes up. Somebody in our church is friends with them. And they looked and they saw that they were posting about a gift that Connection had given. I had people come up to me. They see me with a shirt on and they say, you guys gave me a rack of ribs last year at South Town IGA. I said, yes, we did. You gave me a pork loin at Walmart. Yeah, we did. Why? Still haven't answered that question. Why? I've been, I've been literally asked this question. Why? I said, why not? We sought to meet a need. You had a need. One of the ladies told me, I remember her telling me, she, I gave her a rack of ribs and she said, oh, I can never buy that. I said, it's not for sale, it's yours. I can't believe this. I can't believe, it. why would you do this? Because God has spilled Himself over in abundance of what I need and what our church needs and we seek to reach people. What happens when a church connects and intertwines itself as a core inside this church and we worship together and we, and we hang out together and we get involved together? We become a launching pad for missions. A launching pad. Not a, not a hey, let's go to work. A, I can't wait to get to work launching pad. I hear people all the time say, well, Jack, earlier, he said, Four years ago, I wasn't the same person as I am today. You know why? Because the connection's an awesome church? Nope. Because God is a God of transformation. 
And he lived and loved with people for four years. And the next four years, he's not going to be the same again, and neither are you. That's not, that's not me being proud. That's God being God. Look at John 14. I love this. You want a confident hope? Here you go. Jesus himself talking. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He's talking to his disciples. He says, trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If there were not so, that this were not so, I would have told you. Or what I've told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. He goes on in verse 3. When everything is ready, I will come and get you. So that you will always be with me where I am. In verse 4 he finishes, and you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus is getting ready to finish his life in his ministry here on earth. He's talking to his disciples about their inheritance in heaven because they're followers of him. Now, here's the point. When we're promised things in here, they're promises and they don't change. In two verses later in John, Jesus throws an absolute exclamation point down in His ministry. In John 14, 6, He looks at His disciples and He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through Me. And I believe that there should be a, like a, a 17 font exclamation point on John 14, 6. Because when Jesus said that, it's over. If Jesus tells us that He's the only way, in two verses or three verses earlier, He said, He gives them this promise. Jesus basically promises them, He says, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when it's time, I'm going to come and get you. Now how can they believe that? Ask this question to yourself. Do you believe that Jesus is perfect? Sinless? Yeah. Then you already answered the rest of the question. Can He lie? No. If Jesus is... If Jesus later, later after he says this, is, is, is killed, buried, and resurrected from the dead as the perfect sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice, then before that he couldn't have sinned. So this is true. You have a confident hope. So if you need a confident hope, look at your worship handout. Look at the next blank. We are to hold tight to the confident hope found only in Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you something. A belief in yourself gets you absolutely nowhere but in trouble. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. That should be, that should be a scripture verse. It is. It, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not being sarcastic here. It is. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. We, this, is not, this is not us walking around the world like, we, like somebody owes us something. This is a confident hope that no matter what this life throws at you, God is enough. He's actually more than enough. You had a day? You had a day where you wanted to go outside? And you just want to say, why on earth, God, is this happening to me? You been there? You should carry a confident hope in your heart. Because here's the deal. Greater is He that is in me than He is in the world. Period. God is enough. Chris Tomlin writes in a song, He's more than enough. Jesus Culture writes a song, Your love never fails. It doesn't stop. It doesn't quit. We have that confident hope no matter what this life throws at you. If there's ever a testimony to what life can throw at you and to, rem- and to talk about confident hope, it's this man right here talking. It's Paul. You imagine Paul going to a family reunion in January. Let's just say he has a family reunion in January and, then, um, and, he's, and he's how he used to be. He was Saul, right? If you know, if you know Paul's history... 
his past, he used to persecute and kill Christians. Now, he was very smart and he was very tactful about this. At the very first martyr killing stoning recorded in the Bible, we hear about Stephen being killed for his faith. It says Saul was there. It doesn't say Saul threw a rock. It says Saul held, held their coats. He was smart. He was very smart. He never threw a rock at that time. But he held, he held the coats. He held the cloaks. But he persecuted them. He didn't like them. So Paul goes to this, this family reunion in January and he's the same self. But let's say in May or June, these dates are not correct. Do not look this up, okay? May or June, he's walking and he has his conversion experience with God. God shows him, literally shows him his presence, knocks Paul to the ground. He, he just, just, I know, I duck hunt. I know what spotlights are in the dark and they're bright. But never one time have I looked into a light and, and been flattened on the ground. This is impressive. It flattens him. Complete humility. God talks to him. He says, why do you persecute my people? Why don't you be my missionary? It's paraphrased. Paul turns in to the greatest probably recorded missionary in history. And just think about that. If that was May or June, Paul's planning churches, missionary trips, then all of a sudden he comes back to his family reunion on the next January. You think he's different? He goes from hunting and killing them to going places, risking his life just to share the name of Jesus with people. This is not the same. He had a confident hope. Paul even says, he says, listen, whether I die or I don't, whatever, I win. How can you say that? Because if you let me live and you don't kill me, I'm going to tell more people about Jesus Christ. And if you kill me, I get to meet him. <laughs> I win. It's like the little kid on Big Daddy playing cards. I win. That's just the name of the game. Paul literally goes up to the guys and he said, you can do whatever you want to with me. You can cut me with that sword. Okay, then I can't preach anymore. But if you do not, listen, you talk about the confidence. He says, if you don't do something about me, I can guarantee you that I'm going to let a whole bunch more people know about the name of Jesus Christ. And then he says, if you kill me, guess what? It's going to work backwards because when you kill me, they're going to people know and understand it's going to get out that I died for my belief in that. And you don't die for things that you almost believe in. So it's even going to further the gospel. So you're in trouble. You can't pick right. I win. That's a confidence. He wasn't egotistical. He wasn't prideful. That's confidence. Look at verse 6. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. Ha! You know why we should say amen to that? Because we live in America. It came across. It spread globally. It didn't stay put. That's the awesome thing about the gospel. It doesn't stay put. 30 years after Jesus is raised from the dead, it's reached out. It's reached out. He goes on. It is, by, it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Paul has seen firsthand what it means to be transformed. And he's, and he's writing to these people and he said, if there's ever anybody that understands this, it's me and I get it and I want to pray for you. He knew the persecution. He knew the hurt. He knew the loneliness. He knew the depression. He knew all of it. Look at the next blank in your worship handout. Look at this. When someone experiences a life-changing power of God through a relationship with Him, they will not be the same. 
just in my little story, my funny story about Paul coming back to the family reunion, he's not going to come back the same. It was my prayer last week for you, before you even came to church and stepped foot in this church, that you would not leave our church service the same as you walked in. I didn't tell you that. That would have been egotistical. Oh, look how Matt prays for us. It was the confidence. You know what my confidence was in? Is when we open God's word and we pray to him, he answers us and he listens. That's the confidence that I have. He's changed my life. There's no way I should be here. I should be dead. The consequences of stuff that I did in my life and caused the, 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 the valleys and the pits of depression, I should not be here. But God, I'm not the same. I'm not the same. Look at verse 7. Paul just gets, he just gets ready to go crazy now. See, just, just a second. But when we talk about that in, in, in our worship handout, that they will not be the same, a person that has a legalistic mind will say, well, they can never mess up again. Stop keeping score. Jesus himself said, stop keeping score. Basically, in this paraphrased version, he said, he said, you're really easy to point out somebody's sin, but you have a log in your eye. You're talking about a splinter, you have a log. Okay, if we're keeping score here, no one wants to keep score next to Jesus. Okay, he could be anybody in air hockey. No one's keeping score. Okay, Jesus was the man. You can't keep score next to Jesus. And he says, because of grace, you don't have to. And because of grace, I don't. Amen. He doesn't keep score. I'd still be in trouble. I'd still be in trouble. Uh, look, at, look at how it got there. You, you learned about the good news in verse 7. From Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and He's helping us on, on your behalf. Oh, here's the connection. Huh? Connection? Um, Epaphras comes back from experiencing probably worship or and um, a conversation with people at Collis, and he comes back, he says, i got to tell Paul about this. Now, are you so close to God, and people know that you're so close to God, that they know that you would be elated if you, if you told them about something that God was doing? Or just think about how deep this is. He knows Paul. He goes, oh, Paul's going to blow up when he hears this. Listen to what this church is doing and call us. He goes, where? Call us is tiny. It's like moonshine. That's actual town. Population three. Husband, wife, dog. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm not joking. It says, you learned about our good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he's helping us on your behalf. Look at verse 8. He has told us. Oh, that I would pray that if something bad happened to me, that somebody may come up to my wife or my family and console them and say, He's told us about the love of other people. We, we have been told about your husband. We've been told about your church. It says, He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. You love people until you can't stand it anymore. They probably community loving the snot out of Collis. However many people were there. Look at verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you. Prison or praying. It's all Paul does. We have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Look at this. Not, not just that we pray. We talked about last week about being specific. 
Now look in this letter at how Paul is specific. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. The hardest thing you and I will ever do on this side of heaven. Learn God's will and just do it. It's cost me friends. It's cost me states to move out of and into. I even, I even went down and joined this crazy church nine years ago where I, I walked out after the first service and I said, these people that meet in this school are weird. That was this church, by the way. And it's not comfortable. And it does not always match our thoughts. But it is worth it. So Paul says, we haven't quit praying for you because we know that God is at work. Oh my goodness. Are you the popcorn church? The next time somebody asks you if you're the popcorn church, yell at them, yes. Yes, we are. We also have coffee. We have water. Um, our bathrooms are in the door to the right. Okay? Make them feel comfortable even though they haven't been here yet. Okay? We have a very laid back service. Our pastor preaches in shorts. Come as you are. Everybody's welcome. And if you smoke 15 feet from the door, just put your cigarette butt in the cigarette holder. It's important. This is what they probably did. Look at verse 10. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow up as you learn to know God better and better. Our relationship with God should get better and better. Paul is the author of this. And we read in Colossians. You want to back up a couple letters? Check out Ephesians chapter 5. Paul's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He mentions another thing about fruit. So he prays, he eats a lot of fruit, and he's in prison. Okay? So that's what, that's what Paul does. So he's ever, he says, It pleases the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Now how about this? If you know about the fruits of the Spirit, you know about the blessings of the Holy Spirit in your life. I heard this from a pastor one time, and it was one of the most not easy things to hear in my life. Every single person as a follower of Christ has, has good fruit in them, a, tr- a fruit of the Spirit in them. But you decide which ones you pick. I'm just going to let that sink in all afternoon. This is hard. Because this is the one that we don't want. Um, Let's see. Gentleness. Yeah, I can get that one. We we, we look in the back for more fruit. Right here hanging above our head is this thing, this one called patience. And we just go around. We just, we don't want to pick that. It's up to us who pick what we pick. And Paul said, listen, you have the fruit in you. Go to the grocery store and get the right ones. Go to your own personal grocery store and get the right fruit. He goes on. Look at verse 11. We also pray. He always prays. I haven't counted them, but it's several already, right? He says, we also pray that you'll be strengthened with all His glorious power so you will have the endurance and the patience you need. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Whoa, time out. Patience is a fruit. They have to be selective in their fruit shopping, don't they? This is tough. This is hard. If you have children or not. If you have a job or not. Having patience is not easy for a human. Especially a human that has more than we need. And we can be spoiled. We also pray that you be strengthened with glory and power so you have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. Yes! I'm going to be happy. No. 
You and I both know that does not translate the same. Jesus doesn't go up to his disciples and say, Hey dudes, it's going to be a happy day. No, he said, if you follow me, you will die. <laughs> he says, to follow me, you have to die to yourself. I'm sorry, what's that mean? <laughs> Peter in the back, he's like, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're going to die. Now, they, they did, that gave them joy. Do you know why? It furthered the gospel. It's because some of those men that you and I have a relationship with Christ, we can't possibly probably go father that back, but it's because of those men starting out in that first church in Acts pushing the gospel. It's why you and I can have that relationship today. So it was important. Look at verse 12. Always thanking the Father. Nope, back one. There you go. He has enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. Okay, if you have a pen or you do anything with your Bible, verse 12. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. Look at verse 13. For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sin. There is so much in there. I could talk for a year on that. And I'll do it really quick. In verse 12 it says this, He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people. Your mind when you look into the mirror or Satan's words to you is, You're junk. You're not worth it. Believe me, that's the nice version of what I've heard in my life. You're not worth it, Matt. You're inadequate. Yes, I am. I'm completely useless without God. Period. But Satan likes to get in with those words and those words and those words. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It started August 13th, 1987. Rule Route 3, Box 154, upstairs, on our couch. I prayed with my mother. And I said, I said, Mom, I have a sin problem. And I need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ in my life now. And I knew full well what I was doing. And I asked Jesus Christ to come. Has my life been perfect? Absolutely not. I'm not a perfect person. Has my life been perfect since then? No. But I've had a confident hope since then. Even when I was running in college, He never left me. He actually pursued me. That's wild. To think of how inadequate, how, how not okay we should be with this. We have been given the inheritance, and that means this. You've been given the inheritance of a place that is infinitely bigger and worth infinitely more than any amount of money your parents or grandparents or property or anything they could leave you. If you have a relationship with Christ, you are going to inherit infinite unbelievableness. That's a new word. I just made it up. Unbelievable. Unfathomable. The easiest way that I can explain this is some of you that are new with us. My grandfather, taught, he taught me how to hunt. And I asked him one day, I was probably seven or eight years old. This is just extremely vivid. We were on or, west of Worship of Blacktop. We were hunting for rabbits. And it was snowy a little bit. And my grandpa had these hands that were about this big. Maybe they just looked that big because I was so small. But he was huge. A big dude. And I noticed that great big, I mean, it looked, like it, was, it looked like it was the ring off of Lord of the Rings. Like there's just this great big huge ring. And I said, Grandpa, how will you know Grandma in heaven? Oh yeah, I forgot, never mind. I just kind of kept walking. He goes, what do you mean never mind? I said, I said, the rings. 
you have rings. And my grandpa turned around, and he was a pastor, and some of you knew him. He turned around to me and he said, he said, he said, Matthew, I want to tell you something. I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And he said, I, I was already a Christian. He said, you and I are sons of the king. Man. Ooh. Son of a king. He said, Jesus has paid the price for your sin in your life. You get to inherit heaven. I said, yeah, I know that. And he said, the last thing that I'm going to do is walk around heaven with a piece of pavement on my hand as a a son of the king. We can't fathom our inheritance. That's what should drive us. That's what should drive us. The fact that we are no longer in darkness and that we have been forgiven, that should push us. Because hell wasn't created for people. It wasn't. Not one. (laughs) Look at the last blank in your worship handout. This is what should drive us, our gratitude. Our gratitude because of what we get to inherit... Our gratitude for what God has done in us should forever... Oh, I know. Some of you have now just got that song stuck on your lips and in your head for another two weeks. Some of you come in this morning. Praise will ever be on my lips. I hope you put it on replay and repeat in your car. Everything that we do, everything that we do, how we do it, should be on our lips, on our service, on our hands. We should sweat Jesus. I said, oh, some of you are like, that's gross. I'm, I'm not joking. Our service should sweat God's love for other people. Our gratitude for what God's done for us, it should be the outboard on our boat. It should drive us. Listen, I don't have time to explain to you why I want to do what God has for me to do. I'm not a good person and you don't have time and it would bore you. I fail often. But God's love for me, that I get to inherit. Think about that. So Paul is talking to this church of people that he's never met. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for you wherever you go to church. That you're involved with a group of people. That the word is getting out because of what God is doing. And I'm here to tell you that I heard from people that live on the other side of Fairfield. That we serve popcorn at our church and we'll let everybody in and there's loud music. Bring them on. Open the doors. Sit on the floor in here. We'll have whatever. May we seek, not for us. Not it is that that we're this, oh wow, this Superman church. No. That we just seek to do God's will and we let Him take care of the rest. We're to be submissive. To do what He wants. And may it forever be on our lips. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much. Uh, We aren't even, we shouldn't even have the ability, God, to talk with you through prayer, but you decided, you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on a cross to pay for our sin. And on the third day, you raised him from the dead, declaring that hope was alive. And God, there may be people in here that don't, not, they don't have a relationship with you. I just ask, God, that you make yourself real to them. I ask that you, you, 
You challenge them. God, with the thought process, they make seek out answers. God, about what things mean, what, what you've done for us, what Jesus did. God, we thank you for the people that have visited with us this morning. We thank you for the people that are our new family that came. God, thank you for the, just for the blessings of, of, of people singing, of listening to music, of listening to your word being preached. God, we love you. I'm just blown away at how you do things you do with people like me and people like people that are here. God, we're so inadequate. Help us to rely on you completely. It's in your name we pray. Amen.